Welcome to Meanwhile at the Museum, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with the people, places, and stories of Cincinnati Museum Center. I'm Cody Hefner, and today I have the pleasure of bringing on the one and only Dave Zlatic. What's up? What's up? How's it going, Cody? (laughs) I think pretty much anyone who's near my office knows that if they ever hear me answer the phone like that, it's with you. Yep, yep. It's pretty much like that. I don't know how that started, but it's... uh, it's definitely kept going it's because i think i i thought you did it to me once oh i might when have. i answered <laughs> but anyway more to the point my joke is always i know what someone does or their job title but i don't know both with you i've got it down okay well, so well, you okay. are you are our chief technology officer correct and the best way to sum that up is our IT systems, your computers, your phones, everything like that. You're the one, your team is the one we call to tell us to turn it off and turn it back on. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's usually the number one step in our, all of our instructions. Just did you turn it off and turn it back on? If, if we won't pretty much answer you, no, we're kidding. Uh, but we will. We do uh, We do suggest did you unplug it and plug it back in first because if it, it, it usually fixes it. There was a system issue once, and I made a comment. Sladek, did you try... I'm plugging it and plugging it back in. Yes, I believe there was a text message to that, and I believe the response was, that's exactly what we did. Um, so, yeah, so sometimes it just works, and then you don't know why. And if it happens a lot, then you want to dig into it and figure out why it does it. But a lot of times it's just, you know, the ones and zeros get a little messed up, and they need to be straightened out. So, so all right, that's, I, I did you a great disservice in explaining what you do. Explain what the chief technology officer does here at Cincinnati Museum Center. So the chief technology officer here at the Museum Center really oversees anything with a blinking light. That's kind of a place to start. If it has a blinking light, it probably has some technology behind it. And there is someone on my team, most likely, or someone in the exhibits department, because they do a lot of technology, too, who's responsible for making sure that works on a day-to-day basis. So that's like the physical materials, the, the computers, the servers, all those things that are out there. Then there's also all the software and all the systems we use. You know, they're in a museum. A lot of people would be surprised, like, oh, it's a pretty simple business. At the end of the day, we're running multiple different applications and trying to get data moving across things so that, you know, we can reach out to you. This podcast is an idea of the technology that goes into doing stuff. You know, marketing uses it. Philanthropy uses it. It is in every part of the museum technology touches. So collections uses it. Collections well, uses right? it. Yeah, I mean we have a database. We just migrated an entire database from an on-premise server, so a server that's been in with the museum for years. We're moving it now to the cloud so that our staff can have more access. We can give our guests and our researchers more access to that data and to do their research and understand about all the things that we have in our collection. So it does touch every part of the, of the uh, museum. Yeah, I think that's interesting because people look and they think, uh, oh, I see dinosaur bones. You know, it's it's a bone that goes in a drawer somewhere. It's got a little card on it or, or something. But that's all catalog. That's all in a system. So our team knows what we have, what's where. But also, as you mentioned, researchers from around the world mm-hmm. can reach out to us or can access a database to figure out what we have because they're they're not – cherry-picking museums or places to say, oh, I bet this place uh, in London has uh, a tusk from a mastodon from this area or this this particular time period. They're looking at different systems that our collections databases tied into, yep. and that's how we pop up. And so you know, that's, that's how researchers 
from all over the world find us, come here, and are using our materials to study it. But it takes someone like you and your team to make sure that that is functioning properly, to make sure that we have the right system, and Correct. that that uh, that holds true and it doesn't fail on on someone who's trying to use it. Yeah, it's funny. Like 15, 20 years ago, you know, if you were a researcher, and my timeline might be off about when this was, you know, you would pick up the phone and you'd call a museum and say, "Do you have this some this thing?" You know, I'm looking. Okay, uh, the museum. Do you have a mastodon? Pick up the phone, call somebody in our collections, call Glenn and say, "Do you have this?" Glenn would have to go to the physical card catalog. I mean, you you probably remember when you were a kid going to the library and you had to pull the drawers out and do this stuff. Well versed in Dewey Decimal. Uh, yeah, the Dewey Decimal system. Yeah, so. Um, you called and you talked to somebody and they would find it and say, yeah, we got it. They might take a picture and mail it to you. You know, this is before email. You know, this is also, you weren't using cell phones. You're picking up and using a rotary phone. Put that in front of a, a young person today and they don't even know how to use it. But yeah, technology has taken us a long way forward to be quicker and figure out who has what and research what. You can go to our website right now and click on our library page and research what we might have in our collection and then come into the library if, the, if something really piques your interest and work with our researchers in the library, our librarians, to, to look at that stuff. So the open access to data is kind of what we look at now has made it a lot easier for people to really understand what people have, where it is, and, and get to that research in a much quicker way. As more systems are using data, are, are online, I mean, our, our finance and our accounting team, all of that stuff is online. All that is yep. database-based, cloud-based, software-based, whatever, these words that you know that I don't. Yeah. But that then also means you are um, you're like the cyber bodyguard. For yeah, the museum, oh, yeah. right? It's the cybersecurity guard, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of people. I, I don't think any organization, you know, the chief technology officer in any organization, you're ultimately responsible. But you've got a great team. We've got contractors who work for us. We have all the tools in our in our tool belt to make sure that we're protecting against that that cybersecurity things and, and trying to maintain a, a safe workplace from a technology standpoint. We have physical security here in the building. We also have IT security. So it, it really is a team effort to keep up with everything that's going on in the world today when it comes to technology. Guarantee someone listening right now has a password that is password yes. or is on a post-it note Don't on your that. computer or under your keyboard. It's <laughs> putting putting a your password on a post-it note is putting the door key under the, the floor mat. Yes, it really is. Or putting your car key just in your cup holder in your car and saying, hey, here it is. No, Come it's, take it's, it. It's above the visor. Oh, it's in the visor. It's okay. always the well, visor. If, you know, it could be in your visor. But yeah. Don't do that. Number one suggestion, if you take anything from this podcast, don't put your password on a post-it note. Talking about cybersecurity, it's like you have smoke detectors in your home in case there is a fire. There are things you do to safeguard. Um, there are very simple things you can do. Yep. Um, and just like you replace the batteries every six months in your smoke detectors, you're constantly upgrading your software and upgrading your your protections. So yep. that is, we're doing that just so everyone's listening. Yes, we are. <laughs> aware. I think we do it but, too much. Our staff, you know, we, we constantly are pushing out new updates for your computer. And I'm sure you've seen it, Cody. You get this box that says your computer will reboot in 30 minutes. You can delay this 10 times. And it's like, do you understand how many files I have open on my desktop at any given time? So when it says 
you, it, I'm going to reboot in 30 minutes. I'm like, it's going to take me 30 minutes to close and save everything properly. Cody, I would suggest you not keep 30 files open on your computer at one time. But, you know, that's a personal <laughs> got a, problem. Got and a that's lot not going IT's. on. We're warning you. We don't just reboot it on you. We could just reboot it on you. So at least we're giving <laughs> you a little bit of a warning. <laughs> it, that does happen, though. I put it up long enough. Um, but... All right, so IT is not all you do, though. No, you, it's you, not. You also oversee some other teams. You have some other functions that report into you. What are those? Yep. The other functions report into me, guest services and experiences reports into me. Um, so Kelsey leads that team. She leads it great. These are the people who are on the floor serving our guests on a day-to-day basis. So it's everyone who's selling you a ticket down at the kiosk, our box office. It's everyone who's taking your tickets as you go into the museum. It's the great staff we have on the floor interacting with you, offering the programs, you know, at the science stage or down story tree time. And then it's also our call center. So if you call in and you're a group and you're trying to book that staff there. So it's a it's a team that a lot of people, when I, when I say I oversee that, they're like, why does the chief technology officer oversee that area? And, and I think there are a lot of reasons. And with my background, I'm sure we'll get to this later, is I have a lot of background in customer service and working in that that department, but I do see my role as chief technology officer is making sure our guest experience is as great as it can be. And technology touches those areas in so many ways. They're the one using our ticketing system. They're the ones scanning your tickets when you come in. Um, they are responsible for all that. So I, I work with Kelsey and that team as much as possible to try and figure out ways that we can look at new technology that might make their jobs easier um, and make it so we can get the guests in the door as quickly as possible so they can experience all the great things we have to offer here. For for anyone who's tried to order food online, order tickets online, order anything online and it bogs down and it's just spinning you in circles or something like that and you just give up and go home, that's, that's your first experience with with a company, with an organization, with Correct. a place. So for us, our guests, if they're buying tickets online, when they're buying tickets online, that's their first memory of their experience with us. And if that's a poor experience, they're already walking in remembering how frustrating that experience was. So it's critically important that you are doing what you can on the back end so that the frontline teams like can really shine and set that bar for their experience. A hundred percent agree. I think for our guests, we're trying to do everything we can to make that process easy so they can come here. They can, you know, nobody wants to wait in a long line. Um, some things you can do online, some things you can't. So there are times that you do need to get in line. But I think our goal is, you know, you think about coming to the museum, you go to our website, you can easily buy the tickets, you come in and you you see the exhibits. And not that we don't want that guest interaction, because we do want that guest interaction. We want those people to interact with you, tell you about what might be best for you. But if you just want to come in and have your tickets and go in, that's great. We've done a lot to improve our online systems over the years, and we have big plans in the coming years to continue to improve it so that we can make it easier for our guests to have that experience and have a good experience with us. Remind me, how long have you been with the organization. When did you start? So I started in May of 2017, so a little over six years. Yeah. And second stint at the Which, museum. Yeah, you're a retread. I'm a retread, yep. I, I apparently uh, didn't upset anybody that much, or they all left before <laughs> I came back the second time around. Um, you, just, you just waited until there was enough turnover that you yeah, exactly. jumped back in. Nobody remembers me, no. Uh, actually, there's still quite a few people here 
who were uh, here my first time around. So I worked, you worked here in exhibits, right? I worked in exhibits from 2002 to 2004. So uh, worked down in, you know, I Erica was on the podcast a few episodes ago. Uh, she runs the shop. So I did a combination of working in the shop, um, building the interactives. So all the electronic exhibits that interactives that would have occurred back in 2002, which are immensely different from where we are now in 2023. There's just a bunch of Game Boys. Yeah, Game Boys buttons, <laughs> like a Hubble button. If anybody knows what a Hubble button is, they're, they're tested and tried and true to like a million presses. Now we have touchscreens everywhere. You know, we have some buttons. Um, but yeah, I ran that, and then we had traveling exhibits back in the day. So we toured about five, six exhibits all around the country. So very much like we have Brictionary right now, and we've had other exhibits. Um, we took our own exhibits that we built, and we traveled them to other cities. So, you know, fresh out of college, I got to spend some time traveling the, the, the country um, to some small cities, some large cities, setting these exhibits up, and spending a week in another museum setting these exhibits up. So that was that was also a ton of fun. That's awesome. Do you ever miss it? Do you ever wish you could go back into exhibits? Oh, yeah. I mean, I miss it a lot. I mean, the good news is I do get to dabble in it a little bit with some of the interactives and how technology plays in it. I do like building with my hands, so I do miss a little bit of that. But I get my fill of that at my house. So the exhibits is will always be the department I, I loved the most from when I first started. What, what was your favorite exhibit that you worked on, either permanent or traveling? Ooh, in which in in the last six years? No, or either in your original. Oh, in my original. So in your original stint, okay. and then we'll and then we'll do your current. Okay, in my original stint, probably the the coolest ex- and I'll I'll pick two because um, I, I'm not good at always saying one. If you ask me tomorrow, it'll be two different ones. Um, my wife makes fun of me all the time. It's like she's like. When we were getting married, she was like, "What's your favorite movie?" And we did this quiz, and we did this, and I listed my three movies, and the three. She's like, "We shouldn't be getting married because you, I don't know your favorite three movies." I'm like, "Well, ask me every week, and it's going to be different." But uh, wait, uh, hold on, uh, hold on. First off, I thought you were going to say. When you were getting married, you're like, actually, you know what? <laughs> oh no, no! I changed my mind today. We should have gotten married yesterday. But no, number two, fortunately, that didn't happen for you because I think yes. you lucked out. Uh, what are your t- the today? Top th- what are your top three movies? Oh, top three! Oh man, I wasn't prepared to answer this question. Mm-hmm. Oh, my top three movies. Oh, that's hard. Um, probably Star Wars, Dead Poets Society, and Moulin Rouge. So which Star Wars? Oh, see, that's a hard. Depends on the day. Depends on what I'm in the mood for. That's such a cop out. That's like, well, like, okay. It's, so it's probably going to be um, number six or number three, depending on how you count. So the the final of the first trilogy, or like if I really want an epically big movie, and I think a lot of people, this you know, this is going to go. There's going to be. Some, I'm going to upset some Star Wars fans out here. But but the the rise of Skywalker I think is it just the they built to it and yeah there are some parts that you know they retcon some stuff and, and you know but it's I just think that movie builds so epically to the to the end it's 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 just a great movie Moulin Rouge I want to touch on because you also have a theater background yes I do I my undergraduate degree is actually in theater uh, design and production and technology I was for a, anyone who works with Sladek that will not come as a surprise. <laughs> I think day one, they're like, just take the degree. <laughs> Skip the classes. I'm not an actor, though. You don't want me on stage. It's it's not good. And you definitely don't want me singing. So um, so I was involved in all the technology that went behind the scenes, you know, digital design, digital creation, building the sets, 
Uh, my my love was really on the lighting design, which was very is very computer based now. So it's it's all networked gear now. It's not the old school stuff. So so I had a dual degree in in theater and computer science, which a lot of people just look at me and don't doesn't make sense and. Um, so, so yeah, I, I did that. I, I came here after college. Like I said, uh, first job out of college was here. Uh, I left here after two years to go on into the theater world and spent about 10 years in theater um, between a, at the Fairfield Community Arts Center and then at Xavier University and uh, teaching and doing the technology. And I think at every job I had after I left here, I was in charge of some sort of ticketing system uh, in some way, shape, or form. So, See, when I first met you, and you may not remember this, I remember it, was at um, the Innovation Lab at Xavier. Oh, yeah. You came you, over with Bob. We, I came yeah. over with Bob. You were doing 3D printing of some, uh, I think, Macedon teeth. Yep. And some prehistoric horse teeth. Yep. Because we were doing a big... Uh, renovation of the visitor center at Big Bone Lake State Correct. Park, which 3D printing, a lot of stuff, if you see fossils in museums, there a lot of them are cast. Now with 3D printing, you can 3D print that stuff and paint it to... Yeah, exactly. To so look. I think I think Bob came over, you know, the connection was there, obviously, from my time here. I knew Bob just very briefly. I didn't spend a, time, a lot of time working first time around. But uh, they came over. They brought they brought the uh, the the specimens, the artifacts, and we actually three D scanned them. So I mean, you can't just three D print something without yeah. knowing it. So we had a three D scanner. We had like thirty six printers, and so uh, it was really great because it was the Innovation Center at Xavier, and I had a bunch of students who worked for me. So you know, I was teaching them how to do the three D scanning and the three D printing, and then we we printed them out, and it was a great partnership with the, the university here and, and the museum. I remember there was a wall of like 20 3D printers yeah. and they were all going. They were yep. all doing something. So it was very cool for me who had just no knowledge of that uh, that technology at all. Each one of them was kind of at a, at a different point in it. And it was very clear a lot of them were were student projects. Yep. And there were just bins of the the Xavier mascot, the big the big the blue, blue blob. blob. Oh yeah. yeah, we printed out blue blobs and little X's. It was their little giveaways, yeah. little marketing giveaways. It was pretty funny. It was cool. Um, and cool. 3D printing's come a long way from when I was, you know, dabbling it and working with it, you know, eight years ago at this point. So it's amazing what we're, I mean, the exhibits team and the learning team and the guest experience team, they all play with 3D printers now. It's become much more accessible. So, you know, I, I think about Graham, I know he's always printing stuff, Evan and Mark, like a lot of them are just dabbling in that 3D printing and, and teaching our guests when they come in about it too in our history in the making lab. Yeah, and it, we do a little bit of it in the Children's Museum yeah, also. So it's space. it's not – anymore it's not a technology that's so far removed. It, it's something that's very accessible to, to people of all ages and kids of all ages. And right, and it's great. It's a, it's a great STEM project because learning how to manipulate things in 3D and the software, um, this generation of children – has been exposed to touchscreens and manipulating a 3D world on a flat thing, and they are so much quicker at building the stuff and making it. It's 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 kind of amazing to watch a kid just get in there and design something in 3D and print it. It's it's pretty awesome. It's interesting what you say. Kids are, are really they're so adept with screens and technology now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you see a mix of it in museums. That there, yes, we do some touchscreens, we do some technology, but kids are spending more and more time with technology that getting into a museum is the opportunity to show them 
real, large, tangible 3D things um, to kind of get off the screens and to see it come come to life in a different way. And it's figuring out how to use that technology and those touchscreens and, and pieces like that to complement that, but not to be the full experience. A hundred percent agree. The the museum uh, of the future, the museum of today, needs to be that mix of seeing the thing, being the experience. There's nothing will beat walking into our dinosaur hall and see the gallium opus staring you in the face. You know, I could put the gallium opus, 3D scan it, and put it on a computer screen. That's not ever going to replace seeing the real thing in the space. And that's the power of museums. That's why that's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's it's funny to think that as we get more and more advanced, in a way, there's this kind of bell curve of museums with technology where they're incorporating it more and more and more. And then it kind of hits this breaking point where you say, Is it too much? And now we need to pull it back and go a little more uh, a little more offline in some of the exhibits. And I, if you walk through Cincinnati Museum Center, I think you see a good mix throughout. And there's a lot less technology in the Children's Museum Correct. where we're wanting kids to manipulate the world around them, to immerse themselves through play and through imagination. And then as you get older and you're going through the Museum of Natural History and Science and the Cincinnati History Museum, you get a little more access to technology but it's still based on the artifacts, the objects, the things in front of you. 100% agree. You know, that learning through play is important in the Children's Museum. I think the learning through play continues through the History Museum and the Natural History Museum also. People come here to learn and also to be entertained. And I think from the guest perspective, we're not looking to a future where you come in and you have your phone out the entire way through the experience. I think we see enough of that in our life every day. You, you go out and you see people just using their phone constantly. I think in the museum, you can learn as a group, you can talk, you can read a panel on a physical uh, exhibit piece or a specimen piece and, and, and learn together in that community. So while I'm a technologist and want to see technology used in all sorts of ways and new and cool ways, I don't think I ever want to see a museum get 100% digital and away from the idea of the thing in the space. Can we build on that and do two things? Can we, one, learn together, and two, learn through play? Recently, I had said that Bill may be the fastest person in the museum. Oh, geez. I think you did, but he had still. But so, um... right now, I want to learn if you're faster than me. Oh, I, I I think you are, but let's 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 go do this. All right, what you're about to hear is us walking out of the room to race down the hallway, and Mitch is gonna Mitch is gonna be the judge. Okay, all right, here we, here go. we go. Oh, jeez. Oh, that was, was exciting. Was Cody by a foot? Is that what it was, Mitch? About, yeah. I was working. Yeah, I was too. I'm oh. fast. I, I don't think I've ever... I haven't sprinted in probably 10 years. When's the last time you ran through this building? This is a good time to mention that there is no running in the museum, but yeah. uh, um, we're behind the scenes and, and we've got badges, so... I don't know. I don't know if I've ever really ran through the museum. I've walked fast. <laughs> when I'm late to a meeting, probably. <laughs> yeah, I've run uh, doing media and stuff in the morning. I've had to run because 
we'll have two or three stations here. And one, oh my gosh, we should have taken a longer break. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to catch I'm our like, breath. Catch our breath. Because uh, one will be in one gallery, and someone's like, oh, I want to do, can can we go shoot out front or something like that? And like, okay, sure. What yeah. time What time do you go live? Uh, we go live five after. Great. What time do you go live? We go live 10 after. Cool. I'll do this three-minute interview, and then I'm going to run as fast as I can to this one. And so, if you're in better shape than I, though. So, um, if you've been listening to those uh, to those interviews, you can probably hear the like slapping of my feet in the background as I'm like <laughs> trying to run into frame. Um, all right, so we got really distracted multiple times. Let's take it all the way back to your first stint here, 2002, 2004, working uh, as part of the exhibit team. What are what are those two exhibits that you really? enjoyed working on that yeah, favorites. I think the two that came into the museum were Baseball is America and the Vatican. So Baseball is America was an exhibit that came from the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and it was, I believe, the first exhibit that opened up our smaller changing exhibit hall. And I am a huge Reds fan, grew up a huge Reds fan. And during the install that, a bunch of Reds players got to come through. So I got to meet Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, um, Pete Rose did not come through, um, but that was really cool. Um, and then a couple years later, well, I guess it wasn't a couple, maybe 10 years later, I then got to go to the National Baseball Hall of Fame when Barry Larkin was inducted. So that was oh, just cool. my, my love of baseball made that exhibit really cool. I collected baseball cards as a kid, so I my, got to see a Honus Wagner baseball card. Really? Yeah, I think I got to touch it. Did I get to help put that in? Maybe Dave Conzett did that, who was the curator at the time. You know what? My favorite um, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose stories, uh, Scott Gamper, who uh, was former history curator here, he and his brother were growing up, and they were looking through baseball cards, and they had a rookie Johnny Bench card, and they're like, this guy, he's he's not going to be any good. He's new. No one knows who he is. And they throw it aside <laughs> and made that mistake. But then as kids – you used to just be able to hang out outside the player entrance. Mm-hmm. And so after games, players would just walk by, and you, as a kid, you're like, oh, like Mr. Bench, Mr. Bench, we signed this Mr. Rose, Mr. Rose. And so Pete Rose was walking out once, and they're like, Mr. Rose, Mr. Rose, we signed this. And he was all grumpy, handed Scott his beer, who oh, Scott's wow. this yeah, like yeah. small boy, hands him his beer, signs his brother's program or card or something. And snatches the beer back and just walks away. Wow, that sounds about that sounds about right. Yeah, right. that's pretty funny. No, so I was a huge baseball fan. I collected baseball cards with my uh, grandpa. So that that exhibit just had a lot of sentimental. It was a cool exhibit too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Vatican exhibit. That exhibit was it was like a month long install. We put all sorts of amazing lighting up in the ceiling. All these new walls and the artifacts in that exhibit were just amazing. You know. All these high-value, cool things that you would never see. Legit uh, from the Vatican. Legit from the Vatican. So, I mean, I think it's a testament to how great the museum can be for this community to bring these things that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. Well, you could only go other places in the world. But, hey, you're here in Cincinnati, and now you can come see this and experience this in a way, and you don't have to go all the way to the Vatican. There are a lot of boxes to check. There's a lot of hoops to go through mm-hmm. um, to bring these things in, to bring the... Uh, Treasures from the Vatican. We had a Princess Diana exhibit that had yep. objects in it from the royal family in Britain. So they don't just give those to anyone. You have to have a um, 
certain level of security, a certain level of uh, environmental conditions. Uh, this You have to have the expertise and the know-how to do it as well. And I think that is something that people may not think about. The Cincinnati Museum Center has been here in this community uh, in some way, shape, or form for over 200 years. But as people know it today at Union Terminal uh, for over 30 years, that's an entire generation who's just grown up with the museum and not necessarily taking it for granted, but it's just been this community anchor yeah. for a generation. And they don't think that aspect. They just know uh, the exhibits that have come in and, and kind of built on that. Yeah. So you came in during the restoration of Union Correct. Terminal in 2017. So you got to experience sort of the the halfway and the, the end of that project. Yep. So everything had been moved out. At the time when I came in, a lot of the, the work was underway um, on the you know building itself and the uh, air conditioning systems and all that stuff. And IT was really starting to get implemented. And so I came in right before that to then drive us through all the things that are in the museum. Um, there's 900,000 feet of fiber in this building. So it's like 170 miles of fiber in the building. So Mitch probably remembers. I think we put that in a... In a construction update. Yeah, I'm that not going to lie. I had to look up that number in my email because I sent it to you back in 2018. Yeah. I was like, I knew it was coming on. I was like, oh, I'll throw out some numbers that uh, I would not have known. I just made up a number early. But it is 900,000 feet. It, it's a 500,000 square foot building. Yeah, it's a big so building. So it takes, it takes a ton to connect all the yeah. spaces. Yeah. And it's not just, and as we've been talking about, it's not just making sure that you have internet wherever you're at in the building. It's connecting building systems. It's connecting um, interactives and exhibits. Yep. It's connecting uh, temperature and humidity controls and it's, all this It's all stuff. interconnected now, and, and a lot of that didn't exist pre-restoration, and the building couldn't run without it now. It's it's really core to how how this building runs behind the scenes and out in front of you. So the interactives are connected. We have to be able to update those. We have to monitor them. So if it's not connected, we can't do that. So so that's the reason for that ridiculously large number that I don't think actually means anything, but it is a number. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. How many, 175 171 miles, miles I think, was is the conversion. So it's a lot, a lot of fiber in the building. We have a really advanced uh, network system here that's all based on fiber. It's It's pretty awesome. Um, but but coming through for the restoration and helping build all that out was just so great because it's put us in a position to better operate and have better experiences for our guests. One thing you wouldn't even know that's in the building, um, and, and a guest would never realize it, before the restoration, you you're, you would go down into the changing exhibit hall, so where Brictionary is right now or any of those exhibits we were talking about before, and you wouldn't get cell phone service. Uh, we've got Wi-Fi throughout the building, but we also have what's called a DAS system, which is a distributed antenna system. And so all the cell phone carriers give their signal to us, and there's 97 antennas in the building that distribute that cell phone coverage in the building. Um, and it's really amazing to have that have that for our guests so that they their cell phones are cell phones going to work in the children's because it's a half a million square foot building of concrete and steel and without that the cell phone service doesn't get in so so that got installed during the restoration to to improve the guest experience so that was what you walked into yep. to say to essentially like okay reconnect this building that mm-hmm. we're we're currently picking apart um but then also got to see the the process of installing new exhibits and, exactly. and kind of getting back to your roots so what's your favorite exhibit or space in the museum today today oh that's a hard question um 
today of our permanent exhibit galleries, I would have to go probably with either the Dino Hall or You Are Here. Um, the Dino Hall, just because we didn't have that previous to restoration. We didn't have this big dino gallery. And we had all this stuff, and it just it wasn't really shown. Um, we had some stuff that had been built over the years. So I think, well, as I said earlier, just walking into the Natural History Museum and seeing the Gallium Opus staring you in the face, you really get the awe and wonder. And there's some really cool tech interactives in there. There's a shadow herd that goes across the wall. We got this cool globe. So there's some really good mix of technology and... Um, the actual thing in the space. And then You Are Here, I think, is a, is a great exhibit. It really talks about Cincinnati. And, and there's just, it, it really sells what Cincinnati is about. And there are some great interactives in that. And it was fun to work on all those interactives, the survey to get people's, like, what's their favorite chili? What's There's a quiz thing. There's a the, the TV. Um, you can be a newscaster. And then the the one little interactive that I find in there that's just, again, trying to help people understand how technology has changed is the idea of the time clock. So where the term punching in and punching out comes from. Today, you know, the, the younger people understand punching in and punching out is going into a computer system and hitting a button and they clocked in and they clocked out. And to see that physical uh, interactive where you pull the card out of the you know this 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 rack and then you put it in the machine and it punches your card and then you put it back did I, you ever have a job where you had to actually use the time card i actually had a job where um when i was at xavier when i first started where they were using a time clock to manage people's time and it's like we got to get rid of this so we got rid of that pretty quickly so so i think that just tells the story of innovation and how technology has changed and it's there's other parts of that in this building that i think help children understand how much technology is taken and it's it's simple as the phone booth that sits out in the rotunda it's like what's this booth that you walk into and you close it there's no phone in it today but explaining to a kid what that is is amazing you will you will genuinely see people walk into those to take phone calls on their cell phones and it's a combination of it still serves a purpose it's a quiet space and a, a very cacophonous rotunda but also, there are some people who think that that's its design intent. Yep. There's, they would not expect a well, phone that's to be well, in there old because you have new. Yeah. Like you see these pods in, in buildings. Like you go to a corporate office and they might have those pods that look like a phone booth. And you're going, oh, it's just a working area. No, that was a phone. Now, the, put, a, put a real rotary phone in front of a kid these days and tell them to use it. And that's another thing. You you're probably would like have to show them how, you know, you actually turn the dial. But, you know, that's another thing. But there, there is that physical, tangible uh, technology component in your here as well, because there's yep. a case of uh, typewriters and yep. video cameras and, and different bits of technology in how they have changed. And what's interesting is to think of how close we are to some of these eras Again, I've been in there doing uh, doing interviews with media and had uh, photographers or camera people who have used some of those cameras in there that were like, I, I remember that camera specifically. Here's how you use it. Here's how you did this. And you look at them and you're like, there's no way that you that you're old enough to have been in that era. But this is not we're not that far off in how quickly things are changing and, and transforming. And you see it throughout the entire museum. I think of, you know, Made in Cincinnati. Like I I have a favorite part, I think, of every exhibit in this museum. 
Um, but I think of Made in Cincinnati, and it really tells the story of how in, uh, we can talk about technology and digital all we want. But innovation has been a story that Cincinnati has told from day one, and you can go back to to those things in Made in Cincinnati. You know, Fabric Frocks, the work PNG's done, Millicron, Crosley, all those things, and it continues today. And it's to tell that story in that exhibit is is also I find amazing. So while I have my two favorites, I, I can find those examples throughout the museum. You're a, you're a Cincinnati boy. You're born and raised. Yeah, born and raised. Do you remember your first time coming to Cincinnati Museum Center? I do. It was not here, obviously. So it was over on Gilbert Avenue, yeah. um, and it was the where the where WCPO sits now. It's where the, ta- uh, where the, the, the uh, water tower, not the, the castle, the castle is. Yep. Um, so I do remember that, and I vividly remember going through the cave over there. And I have that's the one, the most vivid memory I have is going on a field trip as a kid, getting off the bus, going through there, and just remember loving every aspect of it and loving every the ca- every bit of the cave. So when they had the cave built here and then we still have it today, I still think that's, you know, I go without saying that that's, that's a really cool experience. You, you cannot replicate that in any museum in the U.S., and that's amazing. And now you're, you're in this position that a, a lot of people are in that you have a daughter yep. that is prime museum age. What's it like to bring her to the museum or to experience yeah, so things through her eyes. To see experience it through her eyes is absolutely amazing. So when I started here, it would have been it was six years ago. So my daughter was four, and bringing her here in that prime of the children's museum and just seeing her light up and learning through play firsthand was amazing. Uh, funny story about my daughter: right around that time, four or five, she was still in preschool. Uh, we were talking one day, and somebody at her preschool said. Oh, you work at 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 the Children's Museum. I was like, well, I work at the Cincinnati Museum Center. It's like, oh, Maeve keeps saying my daughter's name is Maeve. Maeve keeps saying, oh yeah, your office is in the woods. And so my five year old daughter thinking that I that I worked in the woods it was was just hilarious to me. And then uh, right around 2020, I, I want to say sometime in 2020, we were preparing. My wife was uh, telling my daughter that we we're going to a to a birthday party that night. It was a weeknight and. And she asked, well, is everybody going to be home from work in time? And she's like, you know, Sean and Mike, which are our neighbors, you know, Sean's a scientist and his job's important. And, and Mike's a doctor and his job's important. Dad works at the museum. His job's not important. So I'm assuming he'll be there, but will the other be there? And I'm like, okay, so trying to educate my daughter on what it is to work in a museum, too, is it's just funny. So it's been amazing to to see her witness everything open. And she, she loves this place. She still loves coming. We bring her as much as we can. It, it's it's the same thing with, with Star Wars, right? Yep. You that it's a it's a movie you love from your childhood yep. and that you still love, and now are you have this opportunity to to share that with her, and for me in those moments it's always there's always a lot of anxiety like what if they're not going to think it's as yeah. cool as as I did or what if they're not going to get it and you get, you either get very sad or disappointed, um, or you get kind of mad about it like you don't you don't understand art. Yeah, <laughs> you're, no, you're missing I agree. Out. But now you get to do that with with the museum, and I think that's what a lot of um, a lot of parents yep. are at, uh, or grandparents who grew up bringing their kids here, and now they're bringing their grandkids here. Or you have this multi generational. I guarantee you, there's been people. a family of four generations in this museum who's yep. known. The, we've been around, as you said, over 200 years. That there were four generations in this building in the last year. And they've all experienced it in different ways, shapes, and form, but they're sharing that together. And I think that's 
that's an amazing part about what we do from a mission standpoint is that we're going to continue to educate. We're going to continue to provide this opportunity for, for people of all ages. And there, there are so few experiences or, or, or things that do that for people. There are so few places where you can find so many generations together Correct. Um, experiencing something together and all connecting with it and connecting with it uh, in a different way or, or in a very unique way. And that's when people think about museums and what museums do, really that's at that's at the heart of it. It's, it is. It's connecting people, whether that's with each other, with parts of the past, with a different experience or a different uh, opportunity. They didn't know they could be an archaeologist or a biologist and on and on and on. Uh, that's that's what we do. Yeah. No, it is. And I think, you know, we've even got the building itself is an exhibit, right? So we're telling the story of this building and there's a history in the building going back to the people coming back from World War II, the tie into the Holocaust uh, and Humanities Center. All of that stuff exists here. And that is the reason the multi-generational family can come to a museum and explore and learn and every way shape or form and it's also the reason we don't want technology to be a hundred percent the basis of your experience because we want everybody to experience it and, and learn something speaking of technology i remember i used to work at the box office uh, so talking to almost every person who walks into the building and they looked up and they looked at the mosaics and the rotunda and they go that's so cool i said i know right it's mm-hmm. it's amazing that they preserve this and they go like, they just designed it to, to fit back in time. And I said, what do you mean? They go, like, the building feels old and stuff, and so you guys put artwork <laughs> in here that that makes it feel old, too. And I, I go, no, this, this was built in 1933, original. yeah. Like, they they were looking at the Zeppelins and the biplanes yep. and the mosaics thinking, like, oh, that's that's a charming choice. That's the height of technology. At that time, At yeah. that time. Yeah. And so everything in the building in a way is kind of frozen in time yep uh but then finding a way to it's it's a perfect place for someone like you who is constantly all over the place (laughs) yeah pretty much (laughs) because you have to be all over the place just walking in the history museum you're touching on so many different eras so many different aspects of it and that's not to say it's just this hodgepodge everything's very thoughtful uh, very focused, curated well for each individual gallery. But the region has a long history, and to tell all that, you oh, really yeah. need to um, find those threads. You don't walk through the museum in a timeline. You walk through threads. I 100% agree. And we there is so much story to tell. We try and tell as much as we can, and there's always more to tell. I think that's the, the challenge. It's a half a million square foot building, but still it's not big enough to tell all the stories. So your idea of the threads or your concept of the threads is really what what gets you through the museum and, and tells the, those key things. So I need to ask you two questions before we, we kick you out. One is, uh, do you have a favorite moment or memory working at the museum? Oh, favorite moment or memory? Um it's so hard to, to get it down to one. I think going back to my my daughter and wife, so when I found out I was getting the job, they were both obviously so very excited for me. They My daughter drew me this picture of Union Terminal. You know, it's a, just a half moon with some walls. And they were so excited for me to come here and, and be a part of this. And so I think probably the most exciting part for me was when we opened – and to bring them here and share that with them was just was just amazing. And I, and I will remember that first day that my daughter came in and really got 
to see the rotunda in its in its glory because she was she's 10 so she was born in 2013 so she doesn't remember coming like when she was one or two but she remembers that first time when dad was working here and she got to see it we have a great photo of Maeve in front of the Displeasaurus yes and, i believe it was uh, in a in a brochure at one point yeah we we've used it quite a bit it's a great photo cuz it it captures that awe. that moment of awe and that wow in seeing something and it's so if you didn't know the backstory behind it, you'd think it was staged because it is so, it's just such a pure moment of joy. It it wasn't. I think it was my daughter walking in. I don't remember if my wife or I took the photo, but we we took the photo. It was just sitting there and she's like looking up and it's just, it really is. To further warm your heart, the lighting in it is great. The lighting around the the dinosaur. Yeah, Tim Tim Ebling, our our lighting designer, did a great job on that. on that exhibit, um, so it's it's pretty awesome. What's the the second question is if you could trade jobs with anyone in the museum for a day, who would it be? Hmm. Or what would the role be? I think, you know, there's so many there's so many different departments and positions within the organization to think about. Where would I have the most fun? Um, it's tough because you're yeah you're thinking one, what's the job function, but Two, what kind of stuff would you just all of a sudden have, have access to? So I think I initially I'm going to go to, I want to go be a curator for a day and figure out how, like what they do over there. I don't, I don't think I would have the patience or be, be as particular as I need to be. So that's probably not a good thing for me to do. I honestly think it might be going down and working in engineering for a day. And, you know, our engineering department that keeps the building running, I'm always fascinated by it. I'll go down there and, and see the guys working on this stuff and just learning more about how you do this. I mean, we know a little bit into IT because all our stuff re- makes it work from a technology standpoint. But I'd, I'd like to do that and see what a day in the life is down there it's, with those guys. I, I was thinking the same thing, but then quickly realizing that I'm not a 10-year-old boy just standing in the background in awe and asking questions and wondering what they're doing. I'm a I'm a grown man who's just in the way. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. This being is true. obnoxious, but yeah. you're right. It is. There's so many people who just do fascinating things. I was talking to someone the other day that was like, I mean, anyone could do my job. I was like, no, no, they no, can't. They can't they, no. they, people don't understand the full aspects of, of what someone does and having that appreciation and that recognition that someone is doing some something only they can do and only yeah. they can do in that way um is pretty cool i mean that that's part of what we want to be able to share with right. with the podcast is who the people are doing these things why they're doing it how they got here um and hopefully everyone else can enjoy this person as much as we do yep uh in in some way shape or form so and there are amazing people to enjoy across this organization doing lots of different things and varied things. And it really takes that entire team effort to, to make this place run and to continue for us to be here another 200 years, right? And without every single person in this organization, we're not an organization. We're not something that will continue on. It's it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy wakes up and she's looking at, at everyone. You yeah. were there and you were there. Like any project, you kind of you walk down the hall or you... You see someone in a room and say, and you helped, and you did this, and yep. you did this. I mean, truly everyone is connected through it. It sounds very um, very Pollyanna to say, but it, it's it's true. It's a giant team effort. I agree. A hundred percent agree. And there are, there are some aspects that are, are solo efforts. Uh, 
you know, you dressing like Ted Lasso, I think oh, that was a full individual effort. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, you know, truly it's nice to be able to have that idea and be able to walk down the hall to someone and say, I want to do something ridiculous. Yeah. Do you want to sanction this and have someone say, yep, let's do it. I remember it. texting you that morning after the season finale. I was like, I cut my mustache to, or cut my beard to look like a mustache and brush my hair like Jason Sudeikis. Let's go get some photos. <laughs> I cut my beard to look like a mustache. What he's really trying to say is he shaved his beard yeah, and kept the mustache. Yeah. I guess that's what, the, that's, that's what I really meant. Um, <laughs> But that was actually when you talk about most fun I've had at the museum, like in a just a fun, lighthearted way. That was that was a pretty funny day. I had the people around. So there were people who wouldn't look at me because they just they just could not look at me. They didn't know who I was. People would cross the rotunda, and then yeah, that was that was that was a fun experience. <laughs> My day in the sun, I guess, is Jason Sudeikis. And so then you had your own opportunity to apologize to our call center. Yes, uh, because people were calling in asking if Jason Sudeikis it was, was in asking, the building. Was actually there. People were like, "What? Yeah, no." But it, talk about a team <laughs> no. effort. It was a team effort because I didn't have a whistle, and I really wanted a whistle for the rest of my costume. And I texted Cody, and he's like, "Oh, I got one." Only come to find out, Cody wanted this to happen so much, he actually went to Target and picked one up on the way to work. I wanted to. I wanted to to warm your little heart. Oh, and it was so... fun. It was fun. <laughs> Well, Zlatik, thank you. I, this wasn't as bad as you thought, right? Oh, no. I, I, you know, I, I just don't like to hear myself talk, so I may not listen to this podcast <laughs> myself, but uh, it's been fun talking with you and, and sharing my experience and, and talking about the museum because it's just a, such a cool place. Way to sell the podcast on that one. Oh, well, I mean, I said I wouldn't listen to it. I said my everyone else should. Everybody else should. I just don't like to hear myself talk. You know, that that's everyone really should listen to this podcast. And if you've gotten this far in the podcast, you've been listening. So sell it to everybody else. Just, just I'm not going to listen to this one. There we go. We appreciate the pitch. All right, Slack. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cody. Thank you for listening to Meanwhile at the Museum. Remember, if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe. But more importantly, come see for yourself. Visit cincymuseum.org to see the latest reasons to visit. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to tell us how much you love the show, send us an email at meanwhile at cincymuseum.org. Thanks for listening.